Hello, we are Emma White and David J. Lilly. And we're both jewellery designer makers who spend every day surrounded by shiny things. We're both passionate about jewellery and love learning all we can about jewellery making and sharing what we've learned with you right here. Perhaps you're a jewellery lover or a creative type or you spend your days at the bench like we do. Whichever it is, we hope you'll enjoy our sparkly chit-chat, our silly stories, and our thoughts on living a creative and slightly dusty life. With a few laughs along the way. You can find our podcasts on all your favourite apps, including, of course, the biggies, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So if you want to know who we are and share our passion for all that glitters, then stay with us for the next 30-ish minutes. This is Emma and David with Little Gems on Jewellery and Life. Hi, Emma. How are you today? Hello, David. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, hun. I'm good. How's life up in, in the north? Fine. It's been very hot, very sticky. All three of my children have chicken pox currently, which is obviously great in 40 degree heat. So yeah, loving life. Loving life. Oh God, you poor sod. Well, things could only get better then, can't mm. they? So this time around... <laughs> There's a song there, David. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll probably sing it later as well, but probably in a variety of keys. <laughs> According to Krish, anyway. Yes, pick a key, he says, and stick with it. But why bother where there are so many to choose from? Just keep changing it, I say. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, to get on with this, what we're talking about, I want to know, as I'm sure our listeners do, your backstory when it comes to you know how you came to jewelry so when you were an itsy bitsy little girl what was it you know creativity jewelry painting drawing making clothes whatever you know what set you off on on your creative journey to become this amazing jeweler that you are now don't laugh at me (laughs) I don't deal well with uh, gushy compliments but thank you well I think I had quite a good early education in decoration um, because my mum and my nana, my mum's mum, were both real glamour pusses and they were very into makeup and clothes and, um, you know, presenting themselves in their their best way and that kind of included jewellery. So my nana, I remember going to stay with her and she had this fabulous like big dressing table um, big kind of 50s lots of lovely sexy curves and um and it was huge and it was covered in like quite old-fashioned kind of you know perfumes with the like the squeezy bit on the side to make mm-hmm. it like puff and it was just it was a it was a wondrous place to me I thought it was magical and she had this um jewelry box that was just full to bursting with sparkly kind of 50s crystals and blingy vintage brooches and and lots of just things that sparkled and um, I was absolutely transfixed by it. So th- that's my kind of earliest memory of being excited by jewellery was being allowed to look in, in Nana's jewellery box and, and try oh, fabulous. it on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we were close. We're, we're a very female orientated family. Obviously, there must have been some male input at some point. <laughs> but I don't really remember um that my mum brought three of us up on her own and um three girls I have twin sisters and my nan was was a very kind of you know dominant person in in my family for me and also my um auntie and and my female cousin so we were like this tribe of women and we used to joke that all the men were under the patio but actually they'd mainly just buggered off at some point or other (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was quite uh it was quite a kind of girly upbringing really and there was lots of sort of very traditional kind of crafty elements to that my mum used to make a lot of our dresses and fancy dress costumes and um, you know we painted and and another jewelry memory was of making um, macaroni necklaces with mum so she cottoned on to this idea that you know we could make our own jewelry with pasta why not <laughs> and, uh, why not indeed and at that at that time you know you couldn't get like all these crazy colors of nail varnish and stuff that you can get now. And the only place you could get like blue and black and, and, and these like wacky, wacky colors was in the punk shops. So I do oh, wow. remember mom traipsing us up um, Coburn Street in Edinburgh, which was where all the alternative shops were in Edinburgh. It's a, it's a beautiful place, actually. You must go if you ever get to Edinburgh. And we, we went in all these like really crazy shops full of tie dye and, and hippie things. And, and, and she would buy us all these like crazy colors of nail varnish. And then we would go home and we would paint macaroni with them and string Brilliant. them together. And then we'd wear these macaroni necklaces. Um, excellent so, that was something That's... we all did all three three of us we all loved that so yeah those are my two kind of overriding me- jewelry memories if you like and wow. I think it's you know it came from there my mum always sewed but I was I was not sore I think that because she was so good at it it was kind of difficult to sort of follow in her footsteps there so I I kind of ultimately found metal instead so that ended up being my thing. So what about you, David? What are your earliest memories of um, being inspired to be creative? It's kind of a mixed bag because at a very young age, I loved Lego. I mean, I got Lego when it was new in the UK because I'm that old. Um, And I remember little boxes of Lego and you didn't get huge kits. You got a little box of bricks and a little box of tiles and you might get a kit that made a house but I loved Lego Lego was my go-to when it being to creative and I didn't just make the things that we were meant to make I made all sorts of different things out of it one of the things I really really enjoyed making was when the Lego people came out which was in the mm-hmm. 70s rather than the 60s and I made a car and caravan which went into our local toy shop in the window because they had a, a Lego oh. competition oh, so yeah, yeah my creativity was really based around quite kind of boy toys to start with. I loved doing that. I used to make um, aeroplanes out of the cardboard that came out of the shirts that I used to get um, to wear for school. They always had this kind of huge bit of cardboard in the back to keep you flat in their back. Yeah, yeah. What was that about? That, I had no idea. But that cardboard was great for making these kind of model aeroplanes. And when I wasn't doing that, I was making airfix, this, that and the other. So uh, it was it, it was very much a kind of more of a, you know, a boy's kind of mechanic type things that I was creating. But one thing that I was given that I never pursued, but was always fascinated by, was a little pot of gems that I was rough cut mm. gems that I was given by uh, my great uncle, Stu- uh, no, Josh, Stu was his wife is weird josh was the man and Stu was the woman but <laughs> hey they were they were that age but he'd lived in africa which is how he knew my grandparents though they weren't uh, biologically aunts and uncles we just call them great uncle and great aunt because they were that age mm-hmm. and had just this little pot of rubies and diamonds supposedly mm. this is what he said and i was always fascinated by that and i've still got that pot and i've i've never 
you know, been to, I have oh, occasionally I've been tempted to actually, you know, do I want to cut these or have, have some of them cut, but I haven't, they're still in there. So that was yeah. my first little kind of like foray into jewelry. My mother loved jewelry, absolutely adored jewelry. Mm. She was always buying herself jewelry. She didn't have a huge amount of money, but she would always buy jewelry at quite a young age. I started buying it for myself as well. And then when I moved into London, I started buying a bit more, but that's that's for later on. But the other thing <laughs> that was a discovery when we were quite young, or well, was a discovery for me, and my parents already assumed it, was that I'm colourblind. So that was worked out when I was about four, four and a half, because my oh, wow. uncle, my mother's twin brother, and her father were both colourblind, and it's passed through the female to the male. So they thought I probably would be, and yes, I am. So that meant school said, don't pursue a creative stroke arts career because you're wasting your time. So as much as I like drawing and I like What a pigeonhole to be stuck in at the age of four. Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) stupid, isn't it? It was, I mean, my mum was, I mean, both mum and dad drew and painted and they did as a hobby, you know, that that neither of them were professional artists, though dad was a professional designer. I just loved making stuff, whether I was making Mm -hmm. roadways out of mud or, you know, painting bits of plastic or cardboard or something. And mum was very good at encouraging that. It was never, don't, you know, don't do this. It was like any opportunity to be creative, she would help us with you know whether we wanted to learn to use oil paints or watercolors Mm -hmm. all the things that she did or just you know cooking in every possible creativity where we were encouraged to pursue so that's where my love of you know making stuff comes from yeah i think you know very much i guess it doesn't matter if you're colorblind when you're making mud pies really now does it david absolutely not (laughs) no absolutely not It does when you start sewing things on with the, with uh, what you think is green thread and it turns out to be brown thread. But Let's call it a design feature. Well, yes, <laughs> but not on the school uniform. <laughs> yeah, so how did that go school. on for you? Well, Where did you pursue it was from a funny, there? It was a funny thing, really. I mean, at school I was quite, um, I was actually quite academic. I, always, I was always a wee bit of a maths geek and... Uh, and I was an avid reader, so so I fared quite well kind of at school. And so a lot of people were really horrified when I expressed an interest in going to art college because no. clearly this was not deemed the right path for somebody who 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 kind of scored uh, well. So when I said to my teachers and my mum that I wanted to go to art college, everybody reacted with horror. uh, yeah pretty much I even got hauled down to the headmaster's office and I was sat down and I'd never spoken to this man in in my life and I was terrified um because um I was good at math I was good at English I was you know I was I was terrible at anything like PE I was shocking at geography as well actually but but I was generally like quite good at sciences and I and I was I was good in the English department. So they were like, you know, I think they thought I would do something deemed more, I don't know, it's a funny thing with art, isn't it? That people kind of look down their noses at the kind of Mm -hmm. art degree. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of like academic snobbery thrown my general direction, which actually just made me even more determined to go to art college because that is the sort of person that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I can't do it and I will show you that I can. So I kind of decided as I was reaching the end of my school career that I really wanted to go to art college. But I did also bang in an application to go and study maths at Edinburgh and Glasgow University. And then I got accepted 
them with unconditional offers. It's a bit of a different Fantastic. Situation. And then had to either turn those down or accept those two weeks before I found out whether I got into art college or not. So I turned them both down and then didn't get into art college. <laughs> <laughs> Because actually in Scotland, it didn't occur to me to step out of Scotland, which in retrospect was quite small minded of me. But, you know, I was I was 17 and I just it just didn't occur to me. I don't really know why. So there's only four art colleges in Scotland. And um, and I just I just didn't get in. Then I was a bit like, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? I wasn't the only one. There was three of us in school that had all applied and, and none of us had got in. So we all ended up going, the three of us, off to a college of further education up in our broth, where we basically just drew constantly for the nine months of the academic year. And we just drew and painted and drew and painted and drew and painted every day. We did loads of life drawing. We used oils and... You know that the tutor there was a chap called Brian. I can't remember his surname, but he was a he was a really gifted painter himself, and he was an amazing teacher. He was quite grumpy, and I was a bit frightened of him. But he was a really good teacher, and he really, really taught us how to draw. He, he taught us the rules, and then encouraged us to break them. And he was a terrific teacher. And and the improvement in my drawing in that time. Um, was immense and it stood me in really good stead because I love drawing I always love drawing but now I feel like I'm I, like I can do it so off the back of that year then I reapplied Duncan of Johnston and Dundee was my first choice and, it, and I got in Fantastic. so there you go so then I embarked on a four-year degree course in Scotland we do four years for a degree yeah so um yeah so it was a kind of a five-year process out of school to actually get to having my degree um and then when I went to art college, I, I, I still wasn't fixed. I wanted to do jewellery. You kind of do like a little bit of everything and you do a lot more drawing and a lot more designing and stuff. And towards the end of the year, you choose, I think it was four departments to go and have a play in at the end of first year. And then that's where you spend your second, third and fourth year. And mm. when I went into the jewellery department, it was just like I'd come home. Um, okay. I just loved it. I abs- I just loved it and it, it it took me about a day and I was like that's it this is this is where I belong and I just I love the fact that it was three dimensional everything really I'd done up to that point had been quite two dimensional I just really enjoyed the metal the resistance of it and but still the fact that you could change it it just ah oh, I just loved it so yeah Fantastic. so that was kind of the second part of my Uh, creative journey I did also um, spend quite a lot of time in that animation department as well though yeah I did that as a support study so we were allowed to do kind of support studies and there was there was a few options most people did photography or printmaking but I really um, had always had a bit of a thing for animation particularly stop motion animation and because it was a 3D version of animation I was allowed to to pursue it alongside my jewellery studies and that actually ended up being 50% of my degree so I created these models and did this very strange animation um, that was kind of based on chess and someone went off fire and it was all very bizarre little accessories for them little metal crowns and uh, scepters and they had interchangeable bellies and boobs so they could breathe and it was all it was all, it was really good fun it was a lot of work though I mean the animation thing is so intense 
you know, because I think it was like 25 frames per second. I might be getting this wrong. It was a long time ago. But yeah, it was re- it was really, really intense. But I really enjoyed it. It kind of fitted because it was three-dimensional and there was crossover with my designs. My uh, jewellery designs were kind of based on lighthouses, but they became quite kind of figurative in some ways. And they were okay. quite similar in shape and form to the figures. So anyway, it, it was a great time, you know? I mean, just an abundance of just being really kind of creative and not really massively worrying about how to make a career out of that which you know you Mm. might think is a mistake I don't know but in some ways you kind of need that time without that pressure to allow yourself to to really express yourself I don't know it was a great time for me and obviously I had a had an amazing time in lots of other ways as well and um, had lots of fun so yeah that was so so I left there in 1998 Okay. So 94 to 98, I think. And I was blown away that I that I'd left with a first. So that was congratulations. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. When I opened that envelope, I think I just cried. Um and cried <laughs> and cried some more and went and sobbed all over my head of department who didn't know what to do with himself. So oh, yeah, man. Was, yeah, I was really pleased with that as well. But I think um I kind of got because I'd done this animation stuff, I think I kind of got points for bravery there. And I think again, that's something that I've taken with me through through my career brilliant Mm. that's brilliant so yeah so that's my kind of part two what's your part Mm. two david my part two creatively i suppose is a kind of delayed part two in that when i left school i went on and did hotel management and i went on and did hotel management because i couldn't do anything in the arts because i was colorblind supposedly and um i liked cooking so that's how i ended up there but when it came to being creative that didn't happen for me until I was, oh God, how old was I in there? So I started in 2000. So 39, I went on an evening class doing stained glass because I'd stopped working in the city. I used to work as a wine buyer in the city and hideous job, as you can imagine. Um, terrible, but, terrible role. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's about the only le- legitimate... <laughs> I don't know. It was silly, wasn't it? But it was the only (laughs) legitimate job where you can have a glass of wine and a desk and no one can can tell you off for doing that. But I was living then in Hove, commuting up to London every day and had enough and then started working in Dorking, which is far closer. But I had evenings during the week, which I didn't have normally and went to a, a course in stained glass which I'd always been fascinated in since I'd been mm. to Coventry Cathedral with the school back when I was a teenager. I absolutely loved it. This is, there was something to it. It was a bit like kind of airfix kits again, that you, you put bits together. It wasn't just the designing and the use of colours. It was the whole thing that I really enjoyed doing. And yeah. so I did How that. How did you go on with the colours then? How did that, I mean, are you able to see some colours or is everything... Yep. You know, I, what, is it what, particular colours? Well, what I say is I see the full spectrum, but not always in the right place. Oh, so okay. sometimes things are always right and things are always wrong. And other times it, it just varies and I don't know what I'm going to see. So, for example, traffic lights go red, yellow, white. So at oh, night, okay. I, I don't, I can see red light. I can see the red traffic lights. I can see the yellow, amber ones, but the white ones, I just, if I don't see a red or amber one, I keep going, basically. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> then, Presumably, um, you know that the, that the one at the bottom is the one that means yes. go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If they turn it upside down, <laughs> so I'd be buggered. Yes. 
But um, <laughs> lush green grass in the spring, when it's just started to grow and it's most vibrant colour, is orange. Oh, wow. It's the same colour as an orange, which to me is also orange. Okay. So I was when we had a, an electric flymo, I always had to be careful that I wasn't cutting through the electric cable when it was in the grass because I, I hadn't seen it. Because they all look the same colour? All the same colour. Oh, wow. And okay. the other one, which always freaks people out, is skin. Because we're mm-hmm. not pink. We're all Martians. We're all a shade of green. Okay. So I kind of get in, that, though. There is a lot of green in skin. Yeah. So it's a kind of linden green is most of the time. So that very okay. pale, soft, you know, kind of lime green. There's no yellow in it in particular. But it gets better. If you yeah. are also freckled, you end uh-huh. up being green with orange spots, oh, which is actually quite lovely. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, I mean, I get round all this by when I'm doing stained glass, every glass manufacturer has sample sets and the sample sets have their codes on and they have a little sticker. And so I right. write the colour on the sticker. So I know right, I can go okay. into a box and I can pull out all the blues and I can pull out all the pinks and I'm not okay, going to muddle them up. The yeah. So, okay. so the, the, the only problem is when and it comes to stained glass and I'm doing the restoration, I'll have a window, yeah. which may well be, be Victorian because there are so many of them. And yeah. it'll be a lot of pale colours. And it, is it a pale green? Yeah. Is it a pale yellow? Just mm-hmm. don't know. So with things like that, I have to get get someone to tell me. And I may well argue the point, even when they're telling me. And then got to try and, you know, find a match. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, my friend Richie and I always argue over the colour teal, in that uh, okay. teal blues rather than teal greens. Uh, mind you, I can mix purple with teal um, and not realise that they're totally different colours. But, uh, yeah, so colour blindness I get round. But okay. I didn't actually start using any of that until I did the stained glass. And I did it as a hobby for... Mm-hmm six years and then I had an opportunity to think of what I want to do with my life and I started doing it full-time in 2006 and started my business there and I'd been doing it kind of part-time at that point and Uh I was I was already teaching stained glass had been doing it for about a year and I used to teach it at adult ed uh, in West Sussex and East Mm -hmm. Sussex so yeah that's that's where it is and I'm going to stop this now because we are running out of time there's so much here. I just feel like we might need to like carry on with this next time. What do you think about that, David? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We don't want to bore people rigid. <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it, talking about yourself? <laughs> it is. It is. I hope it's of interest to somebody. I don't know. Maybe if you're like, you know, a wannabe jeweler or you're someone that's just like interested in it, you know, from a from a buying point of view of knowing how people train and stuff maybe it will be um of interest I don't know it's good that we've I hope so. had different paths as well absolutely yeah, I hope so anyway so to move on mm-hmm. have you got somebody to share with me from um Instagram that you are following this week that we can recommend for people to check out I'm going to talk about somebody we both know actually somebody who I've met and has oh. done some um modeling for me and I say that in the politest phrase because she's modelled my jewellery. So pendants, rings, so that. And that's Angela Benjamin. And I know you, oh, I love you know Ange as well. Uh, Ange is wonderful. She, uh, she's based over in West London. 
and she absolutely has an aesthetic that I adore. And what I love about her work is not only does she use a lot of geometry, um, she prefers things that have angles to the things that are necessarily more curvaceous, but she has a freedom in her work that you don't see in many other jewelers. It's something that I find really intriguing because you know her work's mm. going to have a freshness and a life to it. And just recently, she's been mm -hmm. reworking a necklace that she'd done, which I liked a lot first time round, which is all, all kind of squares and oblongs that are interlinked, some of which are in the main body of the necklace is all together. But she's now added some more three-dimensional forms into that as well. Um, and I really enjoy seeing what she creates each time, what comes up new. And she also teaches jewellery making as well, like, like you and I do um, from her studio. So, yeah. So yeah. Ange B Designs on Instagram. Yeah, is she's someone, a good one. Yeah. I really I think, like her uh, bold form in it. Yeah, so it's amazing. definitely worth looking at. What about you? Anybody mm. that's really, really floated your boat this, this last two weeks? Well... I'm going to go a little bit off piece here, David. Okay. Right. So I'm going to recommend, I'm going to recommend people um, go and check out Bikini Jeweler. Bikini so Jeweler? Oh, Bikini Jeweler. No, I'm going to yeah. look them up now. So I really have no idea who this person is. So clearly coming on like really well researched here. And it says they're in San Juan in Puerto Rico. Okay. I hope I've said that correctly. Is this bikini um, body bikini jewelry? jewelry? No, no, bikini jeweler. It's basically a comedy, a comedy take, a comedy look at being a jeweler. There's like pictures with funny captions. Then sometimes there's video content with like little subtitles added in. And it absolutely floors me. It, some of them are a bit close to the phone. <laughs> <laughs> sorry not sorry oh it's um, brilliant i'm looking at it now absolutely superb it's really good really good you want to check out the one that absolutely killed me right if you go on to uh, reels david and right. have a look at jewelry making struggles which at the moment is the third one along right and yep. it's it's a video content from one of these awful programs that i can't actually watch in real life you know where people do these like assault courses but they're like crazy assault courses yeah and yep. you watch them and think how's this person not ended up with like broken vertebrae and whiplash so normally i can't watch those <laughs> things because i'm i'm just like flinching and all the mother heckles in my neck are going crazy and i, I just can't deal with it at all but um, she or he or they have made these videos where they've captioned excerpts from these programs, basically people being beaten up by giant bits of foam mm -hmm. um, and, and, and documenting our jewelry making struggles. And if you've not watched it, you just must because it's okay. just really silly and really funny. And if you've ever, if you're a hobbyist or a teacher or a maker or you've just got a good sense of humour, I think you will appreciate it. So um, that's my I think I will. For this I think week. I will. And I think knowing <laughs> that internationally, jeweller and jewellery has so many different spellings to it, I'm just going to confirm for the listeners, Bikini Jeweller is B-I-K-I-N-I-J-E-W-E-L-E-R. So single L with an E-R at the end. So that's yeah. a spelling I haven't seen before. But uh, yeah, That's okay. the American spelling instead of the... British no. spelling's got two L's. Uh, I think is that right? No, I think they 
they they, they spell it without the second e, without the third e, don't they? Oh, really? Isn't it jewelry? Oh, who knows? Nobody ever knows. It's amazing no. anybody ever finds us in a Google search. <laughs> well, I just put in jewel <laughs> and leave it at that. I just spell it. No. And on that note, and on that note, I think we've probably uh, been on here far too long this week. So we're going to have to. Far too long. Actually, you know, so thinking about, you know, Ange that we both know and there's other people. Do you think it's worth inviting some other jewelers on here sometime in the future to have a chat with us? Oh, what, into our little world. Into our little <laughs> world. Yes. yes, of course. I think it would be really nice to do that. Really nice. I did have that, a, a suggestion as well from from somebody that um, I don't know. We've not discussed this, but um, somebody that going off piste again. Episode. Oh, really? Sorry, I'm going off piste. I am sorry. Carry um, on. Go suggested on. that we could maybe. I'm, I'm just going to wing it. Cut it. You can cut it out, Davis. If it's nonsense, right? <laughs> but cut um, here. Somebody suggested to me that it might be an idea to take questions. Ooh. What do you think? Oh, definitely. As, as long as I can I give anarchic what, answers, that's fine. I know. I know. Well, that's it. I mean, to be fair, I probably have no idea of, of how to respond, but, you know, we'll give it a whirl. Yes. So if you're out there listening and you want to know something about us and our jewellery making, or if you dare to ask us about our personal lives as well, you can always Ooh. ask and we might reply. <laughs> we might not answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> On that note, I will see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon, lovely. All right, take care. Take care, bye. 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 Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and come back to us another couple of weeks for the next one. In the meantime, also thanks to Alfie Amadeus for the amazing track of Topi, which has our theme music. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>